Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin at verse 12. So we continue this series on, on this. We're looking at the work of the Lord. He has a lot to say about the work of the Lord here. Paul does for the Philippians. Now the Philippian church, of all the churches that Paul went to, this is the one that had the most dynamic start as far as a leading from the Holy Spirit. There was no church we ever heard that he was led to as more than this one. Remember the man from Macedonia? This is the first place he came. It also was the one that he had the smallest crowd before he got kicked out. Of course, you know he got imprisoned, beaten, and then uh, forced them to escort them all the way around. Brought them on out. But this is one of those churches that for Paul, just he has good memories of this one. He likes this one. He thinks about them. We think, oh, that's good. Think about some of the churches he thinks about. Ephesus, what do you think he thinks about that one? Oh, that's a good church. Oh, he's got good memories about Ephesus. Have a Corinth. Yeah, Corinth was problems. I mean, they eventually came over them, but Paul was, that's problems. That's, that's some, some issues there. Galatians? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, not so much. So, you know, you can kind of think of some of these churches, and because of his letters, you can kind of get an idea what Paul thinks. And this is one of those churches he thinks, oh, Philippians. Oh, I'd, like to, I'd like to go back there, <laughs> but I have to go over to Corinth and straighten some things out or <laughs> stuff like that, whatever it might be. But here we pick it up in verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, what kind of things have happened to him? Imprisonments, beatings, riots, opposition. You can continue the list as he, as he talked about it, shipwrecks. Hungry, going hungry, uh, just a lot of bad stuff. And he says, looking back on all those things, all the stuff that happened, all those things that happened, they actually helped the gospel go further. Now think about this. You're going through some bad times. <laughs> and looking back, you just say, you know what? This is going to help the gospel go further. This is going to help me move further in my Christian walk. And you know what? If a bad time moves you further in your Christian walk, that helps the gospel go further because you're more prepared. You're more ready. But I want you to know, brethren, because these folks, had a, they loved Paul. They had a love for Paul. They partnered with him. We're going, we haven't got into this yet, but there's four ways that they partnered with him. They, they just had a real fond affection for Paul. And he says... I know that all the things you saw me go through, I know it's been hard for you. Have you seen people go through a tough time? And you say, oh, I feel so bad for them. Yeah, that's what they felt for Paul. Paul, we hear about these things and, I mean, we're sad hearing you have to go through all this. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, he didn't say that he was, he, he was better for them. He said the gospel was furthered for them. So, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now, some of the, depending upon your translation, it may not translate it palace guard. It may translate it something else, the palace or something like that. But the word here, actually, I put it in your, in your outline for you. At least I think I did. But it's the uh, Praetorian guard. It's the word, for, the word they use for the Praetorian guard, which is the highest guard. These are hand-picked soldiers. Caesar goes out and he, he picks out the best 10,000 that he brought into Rome itself. 
And these were the guys who guarded the palace, the court, him. 10,000 of these guys were all gathered into Rome. And this is who Paul's referring to. He said it has become evident to, now look at this, the whole. How many is that? 10,000. Now, can you imagine that Paul has access to 10,000 of these guards? Now, these are the elite in Rome. What would cause you to become the elite of a Roman soldier? <laughs> you got to be good. You got to be good with the sword. You got to be good with the shield. You have to be loyal. You have to be one of those guys who shows up before everybody else and one of those guys who leaves after everybody else is gone. You have to show yourself as being the, the best. Think of Navy SEALs. Think of that type of mentality. This is what these guys are. And he takes those and he brings them in. You guys, you're protecting the capital. You are protecting the most important of all areas. They're not here to protect prisoners. They're here to protect Rome, to protect Caesar. If a prisoner's there, they end up protecting them. That's not their purpose. But Paul has interaction with something like 10,000 of the most elite troops in Rome. And look what he says. He says, because of all that I've gone through, all the shipwrecks, all the beatings, all the imprisonments, all the things that God has delivered me through, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now we read over this, we could skip by a whole lot of the details in this thing. But think about this, Paul is a prisoner. If you are a prisoner, who is around you? Some guard is going to be around you. Now, if you're Paul, what are you going to be talking about? You're going to be talking about the gospel. But you've got to talk about the gospel in a way that reaches your audience. These are Roman soldiers. So they've got to like some stories. So Paul is going to say, you know, when I was preaching the gospel over in Philippi, I was beaten and put in prison. And I had a guard there. He's watching over me. I was in the inner part, most part of the prison. And an earthquake came and opened up all the doors and opened up all the chains. Everything came open. Now, who was guarding him in Philippi? People associated with Rome. Guards, they're not the Praetorian Guard, but they're people associated with Rome. So he's telling a story. And I'll bet you one of them say, I wonder if that's, that's a crazy story. I wonder if that's true. He might even say, can you go over to Philippi? Because they can get word back and forth. Can you get word from Philippi? Is the guard there? Did this really happen? They may send the guard. That did. That did. In fact, I thought they were all gone. And, and Paul called out to me. and says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And I took him home and he preached the gospel and my entire family got saved. Can you imagine that kind of stuff going on? And then maybe Paul talks about another story and tells about some other things. You know, when I was on the way to, I was going to persecute Christians and this bright light came down and the, the people that were around me, they could hear noises, but they couldn't make out the voice. But this is what it said. Because after a while, whatever story Paul would say would have credibility because everyone he told them, as, re, as, as, as astounding as it was, they could check it out and they could find out it was true. Because Paul was imprisoned so many times and beaten, there was always a soldier around 
and a soldier could confirm every story that Paul said. And it, Paul didn't exaggerate any of that. Every bit he told you was true. So word begins to get around because guards talk. And one guard says to another, and they, they may even say, can I guard Paul today? I could see this going on because Paul's got some great stories. I mean, why sit around with somebody who's going to complain and, and bicker when you can sit around Paul who is going to tell you stories of great deliverance, of great things that God has done? I want to hear from Paul. And so, Paul, I get to guard you today. Can you tell me another story? So-and-so said that you told him, that, can you tell me that story? Sure, I'd be happy to. And he'd be telling him that story. And knowing Paul, Paul would always weave the gospel in. And pretty soon the entire Praetorian Guard... They, they heard these stories and they, they couldn't wait to hear from Paul. So that the entire guard, 10,000 of the most elite troops, have been influenced by one person. Now, if Paul was not imprisoned, if he was not beaten, if he didn't have all this interaction with the soldiers, would that have happened? That's just a, when Paul says, you look at these things, you say, oh, they were, so, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And Paul's saying, you wouldn't believe the inroads this gives me to these soldiers. They're loving these stories. They can't, they can't wait to hear. But I don't know if he had the, the story of the shipwreck. But if he had that shipwreck and the soldier that was with him all that way, oh, wow. When Paul get up, gets up there and says, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that happened before this imprisonment on this one. Not positive about it. I didn't look up the dates of that. But can you imagine? He says, check out with so-and-so. Because he knows their name. He doesn't just say some soldier. He knows their names. And Paul remembers them. And he says, check out with so-and-so. He'll tell you this is true. He'll tell you that this would happen. We got shipwrecked on this island. A snake came out and bit me. I threw it off into the fire. And I didn't die. Really? You didn't die? And they could check out any story that they wanted to because they have interaction with all these people. When Paul says... It has become evident. It's not just, don't just run over these things. Put yourselves in these positions. How has it become evident to the whole palace guard when never would the whole palace guard be guarding them? Only one or two or so, here or there. But the stories would spread. You know, if he's just preaching to them from, from Exodus, that probably wouldn't spread as much. But you tell them a story of God causing an earthquake and, sh- and, and opening things up. Oh, that's got his attention. He's got stories of riots. <laughs> He's got stories of people who wanted to make him a god. He's got stories of all kinds of things that have, that have occurred and God has delivered them out of. And it witnessed to these folks. And it became something that furthered the gospel. Now, every single one of those things, shipwrecks, being hungry, being beaten, did God send them? Absolutely not. God does not send those kind of things. Who sent them? The enemy did because the enemy is trying to quiet him from being a spokesperson for the gospel. He's, he's trying to stop him. And so he sends this and it doesn't work. He doesn't stop. And then he finds out all those things we did are opening up so that the Roman soldiers are now hearing the gospel. And because of all these imprisonments, he has been able to get in front of kings and princes and royalty and speak to them as well. Just amazing. Verse 13. 
So it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. All the rest. Not only the guards, but the guards probably talk to people. The entire palace, all of Rome is a buzz because Paul is there. Now, if you're the enemy and you sent Paul there to be executed, you're thinking, get him out. This is terrible. This is not right. This is not how we want this to go. That's what we ought to do. We ought to live our lives in such a way that the enemy gets, gets upset wherever it is we're placed. <laughs> he says, I don't want you there. I, I don't like that. But you have to get bold. Paul was bold. Paul was a bold guy. And you have to get that place. You have to be bold for, for God. Being timid doesn't win people over. But Paul was, he was bold. Roman soldiers, they're bold people. These are the elite. They are bold folks. And they appreciate boldness. Now, I was going, when I was going to high school, I was, all the years I was in high school, all the years I was in junior high, all the years I was in elementary school, all the years I remember, I've been a born-again Christian. I remember the day I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I never remember a day not serving God. Never. I just don't remember it. That's just as far as I can think back, I've been a believer. Boring testimony, but fun life. <laughs> just not a real fun testimony. That's okay. Never delivered from alcohol, never delivered from drugs or, or smoking, never tried smoking, never tried drinking, never tried any drugs, never want to. Just never had a desire for it. Never got delivered from any of those things. Never cussed. Didn't do all that, but that, no matter what, I still needed a Savior. Doesn't matter how many things you stay out of, doesn't make any difference. You're born into sin. I needed a Savior as much as anybody else did. Didn't matter about any of that. Never, never went into a spot where I backslid and had to come back to God. Just stayed with God all the rest of my days. I thank God for that, that, uh, that was going on. But I was going through school. I was beat up for my faith. I had to be afraid to go into bathrooms. For, for my faith. Because I go into the bathroom, there are going to be the, the bullies there, the gangs are there. Oh, here's that Christian guy. And they just beat on me for the thing. So, you know, I try, try not to get caught in the, in the places like that and to, to do that stuff. So uh, I did eventually, I don't know if it was my motivation, but I was out in the, the uh, what do they call it, the audiovisual team where all the geeks go. <laughs> I was in with, the, with that one because you get this little pass. And I was in it in junior high, I was in it in senior high, and you just flashed that pass. You could, you could go anywhere you wanted to in the school. They never questioned you. If you had that IV, uh, AV pass, you can go anywhere. You can walk out of class, be plain hooky from class, show them, show them that thing. Oh, all right. <laughs> you didn't need a hall pass. You had this little thing. After lunch was done, I didn't have to hang out where people wanted to beat me up. I just show them the pass, walk on <laughs> right on by, going down to the AV center and sit around in there for a while. So that's how that was, uh, that was going on. But that's what was going on. I got timid for the gospel. I didn't necessarily stand up and... And uh, talk about a whole lot of things all through junior high school. But something did kind of change a little bit in high school. And I decided I'm going to carry my Bible. I carried this little, still have it. This little, I, I don't like the translation now, but that's what I carried then. It was a living, the living Bible. It's actually a paraphrase. And so I had this living Bible. Yellow and orange <laughs> was the color of this thing. Paperback. It was a full Bible, though. It was a full thing. I mean, it, you could see this anywhere. <laughs> And it was not real, real big. It was kind of small. So, it, you know, when you carried it, I carried it every class. Carried it every class. Put it on. You carry it with your books. It's on top. So everybody saw my Bible on top. And uh, I got picked on for the Bible. But if I got to class early, and I, I was good at walking through the halls. I could walk through the halls better than O.J. Simpson. I'd cut here. I'd, I'd, there's an opening coming up there, and I'd be moving over there. I'd get to class really fast. And then I'd sit on down. I got two minutes to read the Bible. And I'd sit there and read the Bible. 
And I just kept reading it and reading it and reading it. By the time I graduated high school, I had read the entire Bible five times. And after that, I didn't count anymore. Just, uh, just kept reading it. But I was still timid for the things of God. And then in my senior year, we were in English class, and something sparked inside. I don't know what it was. Something sparked inside of me, and the teacher who was all kinds of evil, English teacher, literature, we were in the literature class, and he says, is Jesus Christ for real or the biggest myth that we ever made up? Yeah, well, that got me going, and so I, I was nervous as anything. I was nervous to raise my hand in class, and I said, no, he's not, and I defended it, and it was pretty much me against the entire class. And I remember the next day we came on in, and, and uh, the teacher said, well, I think we have to admit that we were defeated. And he said, we, because he was talking about the whole class and him, we were defeated yesterday. And so then instead of talking about more about God, they all said, well, what's your viewpoint? And he was this he, crazy. I mean crazy crazy he believed he was a reincarnated foot soldier from alexander's army but um, what happened out of that was there were three kids who were three of the ones who used to beat me up three of the ones that i would be afraid to go into the bathroom if they were in there and they came up to me and they said they so appreciated the way i took this conversation and really took this teacher to task and they, they actually said this to me they said if anyone bothers you, we will take care of them. <laughs> my whole world turned in my senior year. <laughs> whole world turned around. And uh, they, no one was picking on me anymore. And I wasn't, didn't have to be afraid to go into the restrooms. And, and everything turned in my senior year. I had one year of enjoyable high school experience. And that was it. All the rest of them I could forget about. Don't really, never went back to high school and visited. Nothing like that. But um, I got bolder. And then, and then after that, there was a, a, a history teacher. For some reason, decided to teach transcendental meditation. But she didn't call it that. She called it something else. So after she got done her little session, I went off to her. Didn't want to challenge the authority of the teacher in class. So I went up to her and said, what gave you the idea that you can teach TM in school? And she said, it's not TM. I said, yes, it is. And I told her what TM was, and that's exactly what you're teaching. She, she again, denied it, but never taught it again in class. Never talked about it again, and that was done. Now, it doesn't always work out good. I, I, I was in chemistry. I didn't do well in chemistry. And uh, Mr. Mr. D, we called him. I think his name was actually D. Lorenzo down in Upper Moreland High School. And uh, he was a heathen, too. And one of the times, he was a heathen. I'll tell you, one of the times we're taking, taking a test in class, and he goes over and he picks up quiet. You know, everybody's supposed to be quiet in testing class. Picked up my Bible. And he said, what's this? And now he was loud, but you didn't have to be loud because everybody's quiet. We're taking a test. No one's supposed to be talking. What's this? I said, it's my Bible. Why do you carry this around? <laughs> we had this discussion in the classroom. And so one time he, uh, he saw me in the hallway. We were passing each other. And uh, he says, you know, if you read your chemistry book as much as you read that Bible, you'd get an A. <laughs> now, I don't remember to this day whether I thought this or actually said it. But I said, chemistry is not as interesting as the Bible. So I just, I don't know yet if I told that to him directly or if I just thought it. I just, I don't remember that one. But anyway, I got bolder in my senior year than I was all the other years. I wished, I wished so much that I was bolder sooner. Wished so much. I had missed so many opportunities. And the, the, the gospel would have been done better if we as Christians are bold for the things of God. But Paul, he didn't have any trouble with boldness. From the day we meet Paul, he is bold. He's out there in your face. Whether he was against Christians or whether he is for them, 
He's in your face about it. He's just a bold, bold guy. And so the Roman soldiers can appreciate this and appreciate that he would stand up to riots and things like this. They, he's, he's their kind of guy. As far as preachers go, they're probably saying, Paul, as far as, I don't like too many preachers, but as far as preachers go, you're okay. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are m- much more bold to speak the word without fear. So they've seen what's going on with Paul, and they said, if Paul can be bold, if Paul can face these things, I can face these things. I can do this. And so it's also had the effect, the enemy's trying to silence him, but instead it's making everyone else get stirred up, and everybody else get fired up. Now, if you're the enemy, don't you just think, let's just back off of this thing. It's just not working, but they don't. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some from goodwill. Now that I put, gave you the other, did I give this to you or did I just put it in mine? I gave you the, the New Century translation here. Verse uh, 115, it is true that some preach about Christ because they are jealous, jealous and ambitious, but others preach about Christ because they want to help. The envy and strife here is very much that, jealous and ambitious. There are some people, they saw Paul and they were jealous of what he had. They wanted what he had. They wanted that kind of a ministry. They were ambitious. They wanted to go to a higher level than Paul was. So he says, some preach Christ from envy and strife and some also from goodwill because they want to help. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. So they preach Christ from selfish ambition. They want to gain something themselves. Now, there are people in the gospel, there are people in the church today, just like in Paul's day, who preach with selfish ambition, who preach with, how can I get rich? How can I get something bigger? How can people look at me? That goes on. Now, you well, keep that in mind because we're going to see Paul's attitude towards this. And I think Paul's got the best attitude that we have. And sometimes we don't have this, but we ought to have it. But we're going to look in a little bit. His attitude. Let's look at this first. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. They actually preached Christ in such a way that they thought they were doing harm to Paul. Him specifically. And so what this is, this is kind of like what they would do. They would get up and say, the message today is why Paul is wrong in this area. And next week we're going to talk about why Paul is wrong in this area. And so they made their entire ministry about why Paul is wrong. <laughs> and they would preach the gospel in the way that why Paul is wrong. And you ought not to follow after Paul or listen to Paul. I'm better. I, I got the truth here. And they begin to, to teach this. Now, if they were doing that to you, how many of you get upset? So just think about this. Wherever Paul goes, he's got people that are stirring up riots in the cities that he's at. Once he leaves, he has people coming in telling him why he's wrong. And he says, I know that there are some out there that are preaching from selfish ambition. They're just trying to get something bigger, something better. And we see that today. There's some people who want to preach the gospel because of, of money and we, because they, they get rich and it gives a bad name to the gospel. But again, we've got we to gotta take a look at what Paul says about this, which we will. But the latter, out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The latter, out of love. They have a motivation that's not selfish, but one of love. They're caring for other people. Now, some people will preach the gospel because they care about the people they're serving, and some people preach the gospel because they care about themselves. And Paul is saying, you're going to find this. People have both motivations. 
Now, we've got to be careful about this, too, because we may think about people that are preaching the gospel for selfish ambition. But I can also be in ministry for selfish ambition. I can also do things because I want to see who is added to me, who follows me, who does things, in, in, uh, who, who depends on me, who wants me, who speaks highly of me, things like of this nature. We can't do that. Our goal in ministry has always got to be what causes the people we minister to to get better. If we ever focus on what makes me better, then that's not good. That's not good. We've had some people, I've had some people along the 30-some years that I've been in ministry, I've had some people, and you know, they're, in, they're, they're a help in the ministry. Just like Paul was talking, we were talking about the end of uh, Colossians. There were people that Paul had that were a help to him in ministry. But he said, no, I need to send you off. I need you to go and to minister to this one over here. Titus, I need you to go over here to Crete. Timothy, I need you to go over here to Ephesus. Uh, Y'all can come on back later on, but I need you to go and I need you to do these things. And people that meant a whole lot to him, really like having you here, but I need to send you away. Why? Because the body of Christ is being ministered to. And see, sometimes we aren't like that. We want to keep all the Timothys and Tituses all to ourselves. No, no, no. You're part of my ministry. You're part of... Uh, no, you don't go anywhere. You stay right here. We've got to knock that off, folks. We've got to knock that off. There are some people that I had to let go in the area of ministry, even though they ministered greatly to me and did a lot for me. I had to let them go because God showed me they need to develop this. They need this to go on. And, uh, it's, and it's good. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, way, way back, we had a, we had a couple... They came, I mean, they came to us first Sunday, first Sunday of Zoe Christian Fellowship. These two were there. Then they got involved in the worship team and they were doing things and they, they were, they were good at what they did. Really good at what they did. In fact, uh, they eventually began to draw, draw together and eventually started dating. Eventually they got married and then they felt the call from God. We need to go to school. And the school they wanted to go to was in Texas. That's a long commute. <laughs> now, I could sit there and say, no, 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 we need you here and, and so forth. Then that's not good. No, no, you, uh, that, that's good. It's going to be good for you to, to go. Now, I was sad to see them go. Still, when I get to hear from them, oh, it's good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. Love to, but how's things going? How things going in ministry? We've had others. They've been in here. Oh, great folks. Just love them. But they, oh, I need to go to school. I need to do this. Glory to God. You know, go ahead and go. And, um, and that's good. I've also had other people who uh, left for, for things that God wasn't in it. And I knew God wasn't in it before a year even passed. Their entire life fell apart. And they weren't even serving God, some of them, before too long. But uh, got to be careful. Just because someone is in your ministry helping you out a whole lot does not mean that you need to hang on to them. Sometimes you've got to release these, these folks and let them, let them go off and to, and to do some things. Don't be ministering in the name of Christ with selfish ambition. All right, now we're getting to this part here I was telling you about. Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. Let me rephrase this for you. What Paul is saying, look, I don't care if they're preaching Christ for selfish ambition or if they're preaching Christ out of love. As long as Christ is preached, good things happen. So these folks who make it a point, Paul is wrong in this, and attack Paul from the pulpit, attack Paul from the Word of God, attack Paul in every way they can. Paul, Paul says, 
I am glad that they're preaching Christ. For the part that they preach that is Christ, at least Christ's message is getting out there. Now, he's not saying that everything that they're saying is good. He's just saying the part that is the message of Christ, that's good, and I'm glad other people are out there preaching. Could you have that attitude? <laughs> I think that might be a little bit tough to have that attitude. In, in that. But that's what Paul says. He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice. He doesn't rejoice in the fact that there isn't truth in some of these, but he rejoices in the fact that they're preaching Christ. Now, it's a whole lot, but you'll get a whole lot more right if you're on the love side than if you're on the, <laughs> the selfish ambition side. But I put this in your outline for you. False motives in ministry will not negate the truth of the gospel. False motives in ministry will not negate the truth of the gospel. Just because there's people out there who have done wrong things in the area of ministry or might have wrong motives does not mean that the gospel they preach is not true. Take the part of the gospel that is true and go on with that. Now, there's, a, there's always people out there who want to tell you, you know, Brother Creflo Dollar has wrong motives over in here. And I, how do you know? You ask them? You talk with them? I, I don't know. Well, he doesn't need a plane like or a jet or whatever it is he's got. How do you know? <laughs> I don't know. And you got people all the time want to criticize. Never, never sewed a dime into the thing, but they want to criticize it. The only people have a right to criticize it are the people, maybe, they don't even have a right to, but the only people who might have a right are the people who actually contributed to it. <laughs> and even then, they're not going to do that. Don't worry about it. God has got plenty of money around. He, he, he's not poor. He's doing fine. If God says that certain ones need a plane to get around, I don't need a plane to get around. Give me a plane. I don't, it's ridiculous. That's not going to help me out. I don't desire a plane. Now, there's a whole lot of things that are nice that I don't desire. I've even told God, says, God, if somebody gives me a boat, I'm selling it. I don't want a boat. I don't like boats. I don't want to keep one up. Don't want to do it at all. If somebody gave me one of those, uh, with those ski things that ride on the water, those things, jet skis, yeah. Somebody gave me one of those, I'd sell it the next day. I don't want one. My neighbors have one, and I know the headache that it is for them. Always fixing it, always working. I don't need that. Now, some people want one. Glory to God. No, I got some things that I know that are a, a little bit extravagant. Not everybody has a reef tank. I like my reef tank. I have fun with my reef tank. It's a good little thing. It's a reef tank. Well, it's not just a fish tank. It's a, it's a reef. It's a, yeah. I, I thought about this sometimes, though. You know, as much as I have a history of no, no drugs and no alcohol and no, um, no smoking, the two things that I like the most have a lot of drug um, terminology to them. <laughs> the reef tanks and, the, uh, and running. Because you know what they call reef tank people? Reefers. Yeah, that's what they call them, reefers. I'm a reefer. <laughs> Now, that has other connotations, to other, so I don't use that, that, that one. But that is, what it, uh, that is what they refer to them as. And then, you know, if you get into, in, into running, there's a couple of different uh, types of training in running. One is speed, speed workouts. Oh, we all know what that is. The other one they used to call LSD, long, slow distance. 
and there's other stuff like that. So there's a lot. I don't use those terms. <laughs> I just say, I'm going out for a long run. Long run. That's all I'm going Going out for the long run. That's it. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through our, your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. For I know that this, all this stuff, all these things that people are doing... This will turn out for my deliverance. Now, what's he being, my deliverance from what? Well, it could be from prison. He's expecting to be released. Could be from prison. It could be from this life. He's going to be delivered from this life. How many want to be delivered from this life? Well, we know that because we know where we're going. Or as Williams translates it, spiritual well-being. Could be for his spiritual well-being. The word here for supply, he says, out, this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Holy Spirit. That, I put the Greek word in there for you if you want to look it up. But it help, help which undergirds and strengthens the object. I wrote that in there for you because that comes out of a book that most people don't have. I've got it, so I copied it in there for you. So you see the help which undergirds and strengthens the object or whoever this is talking about. So Paul is saying the Holy Spirit undergirds and strengthens me. So with your prayers, the help of the Holy Spirit, I know I will be delivered. So whatever it is he's talking about, he will be delivered from. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We all know that verse. We all believe that verse. We all said that verse in some bad times. (laughs) For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knows that to die is going to gain him some good things. It's going to be good. Verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Have you ever had a desire to depart? Ever had a desire? Just I just want to go. I just want to get out of here. I want to check out. I want to leave. Some folks on a weekly basis. I know. I whenever I think about heaven, I think, dear Lord, please, please let it be over soon. Let me go. My wife has often said, she said, if you ever get a, a terminally ill disease, I think you just leave instead of fighting it. I thought, well, I don't know, man. Maybe, yeah. Man. I know, what, I know a little bit about what heaven is like. I told you before, I cannot make a study on heaven. Because I know if I make a study on heaven, God will give me great revelation on it. And for me, anyway, it'd be great revelation. I'll understand some things. And I'll say, now, beam me up. I want to go now. <laughs> Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul is saying, I'm living this, I'm preaching this gospel in an unselfish manner. Because for me, it's better to go. But for you, it's better that I stay here. So I'm looking to stay. I'm looking to hang on here and to to keep on going. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith. That's what he's got in mind. You guys have to progress. You guys have to have joy. This is what... Now, think about this. When you're a parent, even though the temptation might come, pressures come on, and you might think, I just want to exit. I just want to go. But what do you think about? I got the kids. They need help. They need, they need somebody to provide for them. They need somebody to help them out. And so that keeps your motivation to go on. After you get older, kids are gone. Remember that girl? They're going to be grown up. They're all grown up. They don't need you. But now what comes along? Grandkids. I'm experiencing that. 
And you say, oh, I like these grandkids. These things are fun. Totally understand what my grandfather used to tell us. If I knew grandkids were this much fun, I'd had them first. <laughs> totally understand that. Hmm. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith, and that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Now, this is the, the Philippians are one that when Paul showed up, they were glad. When the, over in Corinth, when Paul shows up, what do you think they're doing? Oh, man, are you going to yell at us again? Are you going to rebuke us again? <laughs> But when the Philippians saw Paul coming, oh, Paul is here. Paul is here. Think about it this way. Are there certain people that if you see them coming up the driveway, you say, glory to God, look who's here. And other people say, shh, lock the door. Nobody make a noise. (laughs) Hmm. Verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. All right, now look at that. Lot said right there, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. We've talked about this in a number of different ways, but here he's throwing it out again. Our conduct at all times must be worthy of the gospel. That means our conduct must be in such a way as to not be filled with selfish ambition, filled, not filled with anger, not filled with wrong words, not filled with things that are, are, are setting people back. Our conduct must be worthy of the gospel. We've got to make sure that we walk in that, that kind of a way. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear your affairs. Whether I come and I, I, I hear your affairs directly or people bring the report to me and I hear how your conduct is just honoring the gospel. That ministered to Paul. Paul enjoyed hearing about that. And that you stand fast in one spirit. He's talking about the church there. Stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's a whole lot of together in one verse. One spirit, one mind, striving together. How often in churches is the enemy trying to do things to, to, to separate, to cause to not be of one mind? to cause to not be of one spirit, to cause to not be striving together, tend to be striving against each other, not striving together with each other. He says, make sure that these things are so. So read it again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries. <laughs> not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Now that can be human adversaries. That can be spiritual adversaries. Do not be terrified of your adversaries. Don't be afraid of them. They're going to be there. But you've got to be bold. You've got to rise up. If, um, if, if we were, they put it on. Ethel and I were watching it together. In different places. <laughs> we were watching the, the movie Blindside. Love the movie Blindside. In fact, she didn't know it was on. I sent her a message. Are you watching it? <laughs> and she said, I am now. <laughs> and so we're, we're, we're throwing some text back and forth. We were watching this thing. I did give up at 10 o'clock. I was, it was a Sunday. Wasn't it a Sunday night? 
It was a Sunday night, and I was really getting tired. Man, it's such a good movie, though. But I love the one spot where, and I did get to see this this part, that um, uh, one of the games, and the, the guy who's the object of the movie, he's there. He's learned how to play his position real well, and he's got this fierce guy on the other side. And they battle it out for a while, and eventually he gets hurt, and he, uh, he goes down. But he's trying to intimidate Michael. And he did for a while. He, he did have some intimidation there. He was a little bit backed off, a little bit afraid. But then he, he rose up, and I think the thing was his coach defended him against the referee, and that rose him up, and he became bold, and, and it took the guy on, and, and um, things changed from there. Well, eventually this guy gets hurt, and they put a new guy in. I mean, this guy looked like me in junior high. I mean, skinny, scrawny, what in the world he was doing on a football team, I don't know. But they put him out there, and you can just tell the whole time he's sitting down there, oh, no, oh, no, I got the biggest guy, oh, no. And so um, <laughs> they, they hike the ball, and they get going, and he just goes right down on the ground, and he just, uh, he just you know, stay there, or something. he doesn't even hurt him. It's just, he's intimidated. See, sometimes we're intimidated by the enemy. And if you're intimidated, you've already lost the battle. You have to get out of being intimidated. Devil, I'm not afraid of your sickness and disease. Devil, I'm not afraid of your persecution. I'm not afraid of the things you're going to throw at me. Come on, bring on your best game. I am better than your best game. We've got to stand up in defiance of that. Well, I don't want to do that. It'll attract attention to me. Brother Hagin used to tell us, he would get up there and, and he would uh, sit in church. You know, I've been preaching divine health and I've been healthy 30 years, 40 years. And people come up to him and say, don't say that so loud. He'll hear you. He says, who? The devil. He says, he's the very one I'm saying it for. Because <laughs> he's bold about it. Yeah. Don't feel like you've got to be timid. Don't feel like you've got to keep that, you know, stay under wraps. No, be bold against the enemy. That's how Paul was. Doesn't do any good. I, I know from experience. I have been times when I was not bold and times when I was. Bold is better. It's a whole lot better. Don't be in any way terrified by your adversaries which is to them a proof of perdition but to you of salvation and that from God don't be in any way terrified by your adversaries your adversaries is going to be proof to them of who you are and what they're up against because you're not terrified by them don't be terrified don't walk in such a way as to be afraid for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake how do you like that one? That's a refrigerator verse, right? For, you, for to you, it has been granted. You know what? I think, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do this for you. I'm going to go ahead and do this for you. I am going to let you suffer for my name. <laughs> Did we look at it that way? Not always. For you, to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, not only to believe in him, we can think about that, it's been granted us to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Having the same conflict which you saw in me. You saw what I went through, and then you hear I'm still going through it. You can, you can go through it. It's been granted to you just like it's been granted to me. Don't pull this back. Now I want to read this whole section here from the Williams translation. So as we think about all these things, 
sit back and listen. If you don't have one of these, you can just listen to, to what he says here. For I know that through your prayers and a bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my spiritual welfare in accordance with my eager expectation and hope that I shall never disgrace myself, but that now as always, here too, by my, my all-conquering courage, whether by living or dying, Christ will be honored in me. I like that, all-conquering courage. For to me, living means Christ, and dying brings gain. But if to keep on living here means fruit from my labor, I cannot tell which to choose. I am hesitant between two desires, for I long to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far, far better. And yet, for your sakes, it is very necessary for me to stay here. Now, since I am certain of this, I know that I shall stay on and stay by you all to promote the progress of your faith, which will result in your joy, so that through union with Christ Jesus, you may have more than sufficient ground for boasting about me, though my being with you again, or through my being with you again. Only you must practice living lives that are worthy of the good news, so that whether I come and see you or stay away, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, and that with one purpose you are continuing to cooperate in the fight for faith in the good news. Never, in the slightest degree, be frightened by your opponents, for such fearlessness will be strong evidence to them of their impending destruction. Boy, I like how he translated that. Let me read that part to you again. For such fearlessness will be strong evidence to them of their impending destruction, but to you a sure sign, and that from God, of your salvation. For it has been graciously granted to you, for Christ's sake, not only to trust in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are having the same struggle that you once saw me have, and which you hear that I am still having. I like the way he, he handled all that. So basically... Live in such a way to win over the most notorious of Roman guards. No matter what kind of evil people you think are around, Paul lived his life in such a way as to win them over. And you can live your life in such a way to win the worst of sinners, the most notorious people. You can live your life in such a way as to do that. Think of Paul. What, would, what did Paul do to win these? He influenced the whole, his word, the whole palace guard the whole palace guard that is just amazing don't know that they all got saved but he influenced them all he had an effect upon them and a positive one father we want to live our lives in such a way that we are worthy of the gospel that we serve that we preach and we serve that gospel without selfish ambition not looking to grow numbers just to be bigger. But, Father, we look for the betterment of each of the people that are under us. We look for them to grow. And sometimes growing means they might be away from us for a little while. But whatever it is, Father, I thank you that you help us to go through this without any selfish ambition and to live our life in such a way that we can win over some that are even like the guards that Paul had around him. I thank you for the help you always give us, the support that is in us because of the Holy Spirit. And we are made ready 
to be bold and to be wise in all the things that we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.